have to take over the show. <laughs> We've lost Derek Kemper. gave me these chips at the break. They're called Fuego. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Working through it. Just tearing a little bit. They're a little hot. Oh, don't rub your eyes. Prong saved this segment. We're going to Chris Pronger. <laughs> We're going to Chris Pronger because somebody told me the other day it's been 20 years. Salt Lake City gold medal. And why not get the best to talk about it? Does it feel like it's 20 years? Seriously? You're, uh, you're making me feel very, very old now. 20 years. It does not feel like it's been 20 years since Salt Lake. No. It, uh, however, when you think about all the different uh, Olympics that have gone on since then, I guess it, it does <laughs> date you. But uh, it's exciting to know that uh, 20 years ago, the loony was inserted and uh, uh, we were able to knock off the beast United States to win another gold medal. That was awesome. So when I was with the Rangers, the moment I got traded to the New York Rangers, it took all but five seconds for somebody to say it's been 54 years since our last Stanley Cup. And you had that, right? Because prior to that, the last gold medal for Canada, correct me if I'm wrong, would have been, what, 1960s? Even earlier? I can't yep. remember. I, I believe it was close to 50 years. I, I, for some reason, 50 is sitting in my head that it was somewhere around 50 years since Canada had won a gold medal in the Olympics and... It might have been uh, the Victoria Nationals or something like that. Some some team name like that that, that had won a gold medal for Canada. So do you, it, uh, it had been a really long time. <laughs> do, but do you, do you remember people reminding you that right away? Or was it uh, more to it? Uh, did you get that vibe that you you needed to end this drought? Well, I think I think the the bigger part of the equation was we didn't win gold in '98 in Nagano, and, and so not only had it been as long as we think it was, but there was also coming off the defeat four years earlier against against uh, Dominic Ashik and the Czechs, and then uh, Temu Solani and and uh, the Finns in the bronze medal game, and and uh, you know there was obviously a lot of pressure on the team and and. Uh, you know, with Gretz kind of taking the reins and, and him and Kevin putting the team together and, uh, you know, all the rest of that stuff. It was uh, – and getting off to as poor a start as we did, getting smoked by uh, Sweden in the first game. It, it didn't get off to a, uh, a great start, but uh, like everything, uh, cream rises to the top and we got better with each successive game after that. So it was uh, – you know, I think there was a lot of pressure on the team to, to perform at a high level. Uh, but like anything, you know, a lot of us had never played together. A lot of us barely knew each other other than playing against one another and wanting to kill each other. So uh, tournaments like that sometimes in the very beginning are difficult to kind of feel that chemistry and find the line combinations and the deep pairings and feeling out your goaltender and things of that nature. So uh, it, that, that, that team specifically, much like t 2010, took a little bit of time to kind of come together and, and really solidify the lines and solidify how we wanted to play and, and, and how we were going to be successful. But once we did, uh, with each successive game, we got better and better and better. And, and, and ultimately, when you play your best game in the final game, you're going to come away with a gold, which we did. 
Prongs, what did celebrate or what did celebrating a gold medal win look like? Did you guys stay at the Olympic Village? Did you guys all head home? What was the the aftermath of getting it done? Well, what did that look like? Yeah, it was a it was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we had a little bit of a, a gathering. Uh, I think it was off premise with the, all the the guys in the team and wives and and girlfriends and family members and friends of friends, etc. And then I went back to the village uh, and, and kind of packed up to <laughs> get ready because I think I had an early flight to get back to uh, to get back to St. Louis to start playing again. We uh, we business. actually flew from we flew from Saint uh, from Salt Lake to uh, Vancouver with <laughs> funny enough with a couple of the American guys. <laughs> so there was I think it was. Me and Al, and uh, and then I think we had uh, Kachuk and Waite and Scott Young on the plane with us flying to Vancouver, and uh, it was it was uh, a little it was quiet on one side of the plane and very chipper on the other. <laughs> no ribbing was involved. <laughs> I'm sure. We're talking to Chris Pronger, Hockey Hall of Famer, and member of the 2002 gold medal hockey team. Uh, Prongs, you. You mentioned it. You are old enough where you didn't grow up watching our NHL heroes uh, play in the Olympics. So now it's much different. We know how a guy like Connor McDavid feels about it. But can you compare a Stanley Cup to a gold medal or even a World Junior Championship? Or is it all the same at this point? Yeah, no, I think they're a little bit different, in in my opinion. And, and, and the reason being, you spend... 10 months with, with your teammates and, and coaching staff, management, ownership, fans, blood, sweat, and tears playing, you know, the ups and downs of a long season, and, you know, and, 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 and having that goal of winning the Stanley Cup at the end. And in the beginning, it feels like it's so far off. And then you get to the dog days of January, February, and it just feels like, okay, we feel like we're getting close. And then next thing you know, it's March, and you're getting close to playoff time and, and that playoff push. And then the next thing you know, it's June, and you're and you're in the finals, and you're you're playing for a Stanley Cup, and uh, everything's on the line. So it, you know, from a time perspective, it, it winning a Stanley Cup, as you know, it just takes everything out of you. And and in this case, unfortunately for for the Winter Olympics, they're in the middle of our season, and you get two to potentially three weeks off, and you're it's in February, the dog days of the, of, of the season, and a lot of players are exhausted and tired and, and wore out and, and you're, you're playing for your country and you're playing for, you know, in this case, Canada, 25, 26 million people. And, and uh, you know, you've, you've got the country on your back and, and, you know, as we know, hockey in Canada is, is the lifeblood and, and coming away with gold is, is uh, you're either, you're either coming away with gold or you're coming away with nothing. And, uh, and so for us, it was, it was the same thing. And, and being a part of that, is awesome, and, and especially when you can win on home soil like we did in 2010 in Vancouver, there was no better feeling. But, but just spending 10 months with a group of players, uh, staff, coaches, etc., there's just nothing that can beat that. Chris, I think you're an interesting guy to ask about this because um, you have experience with the Olympics. Um, having been there, obviously, the going to the Olympics sometimes can involve, you know, everyone's 
going representing their own country. One thing we've been talking about today is uh, Alex Ovechkin with Russia invading Ukraine and politics are at the core of everything these days. Do you care about a teammate's politics and does that come up in an NHL dressing room? Is that even relevant to an NHL team? Because it seems like it's involved in a lot of conversations these days. Yeah, I think it, it's probably bled too much into our society and how we think. You know, what what does that have to do with his play on the ice and right. how we engage our teammates and more and more importantly how we engage people outside of the game what does that have to do with anything you know i was talking to somebody today can't we all just be nice <laughs> like what what do i care i like that. Know, that that's got nothing that's got nothing to do with with a the game b you know that, that that's bigger world issues that do we like to see it no do we want to see it no but there's nothing we can do about it and and frankly, you know, I, I I don't know Alex's opinion on on the whole situation. He probably's not going to tell you. And and by the way, I really don't care. Um, you know, it, it's such a bigger macro issue than than where we are in, in this small world society where we are right now, and especially in sports and hockey and um, you know teammates, etc. It's if we were to do that, we would go down a rabbit hole that we would never get out of platforms have changed everybody's gotten a lot more of them but uh we've always tried as players to stay in our lanes at least in my era i i know things have changed over the years but a lot of these guys they just want to show up go to work and then go home yeah you know i i think listen there, there are are there certain things in society we want to be out in front of and 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 be publicly commenting on and things of that nature, yes. But as it relates to, I guess, the bigger picture of, of politics in general, um, you know, and, and how you interact with teammates and, and fans, everybody's going to have a different opinion and everybody's allowed to have a different opinion and everybody's allowed to believe in whatever they want to believe in. And, 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 you know, and that goes back to my point that we were having a discussion earlier about, can't we all just be nice? Like, why can't we all just get along? What's, what's I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How many times? To have an opinion. How many times were you suspended? <laughs> yeah. was, was that your career slogan, hey, Chris? Yeah. Like, why, why didn't you tell me that when you were cross-checking me? <laughs> I may have been suspended another 15 times if we brought politics into it. <laughs> Chris Pronger, the nicest guy you'll ever meet off the ice. These aren't cross-checks. These are stick hugs. <laughs> hey, I got to ask you, someone that uh, was a teammate of yours, I'm sure internationally, uh, Marty St. Louis, you're watching him step out of I don't know where exactly to uh, NHL coach. He's having great success. This could only give a guy like you a lot of juice to think yeah man uh, let me try that <laughs> not a chance no <laughs> come on you don't have nope, the itch not gonna happen not gonna happen. no no not gonna happen and who knows i mean listen it's early but for them you know, I think if you're them right now, you're worried about losing first pick overall. <laughs> yeah, he's t- tanking the tank. Okay, but but all, in all seriousness, are you surprised at the early success that he's had or not really? Are we overrating the X's and X's and O's or is it more um, communication? Is it more having this respectability amongst uh, student teacher? How do you see his early success? 
I, I think there's probably a, a number of factors, but probably the biggest is whenever a coach gets fired, you know, players are on edge. Yeah. Players are are trying to earn ice time. They're trying to um, show off for the coach, for a lack of a better terminology. Uh, you know, they, you know, obviously a well-respected player in his right, in his time. Um, you know, he, there's a lot of players I'm sure on that team that look up to him. And, and, you know, it's a new voice. It's, it's, you know, how he wants them to play may fit their player makeup better than, than the previous coach. So, you know, there, there's always a number of reasons why lightning in a bottle. Look at Bruce Boudreaux when he got to Vancouver and they went on their run. Um, you know, for whatever reason, either players aren't fitting in with the current coach and they need a change, they need a fresh voice, they need to just tweak something, or they need to just clear their heads and be able to vent and get rid of the coach and get a new one and, and have a fresh start. There's all kinds of different things, as you know, in sports, especially with athletes, and, and the mindset is is so critically important to how the game is played and how they view themselves and confidence and swagger and all that stuff actually does matter <laughs> to a certain degree. You, most people wouldn't think that, but when you got your swagger and, and, and you're feeling your mojo, you're on top of the world, you're unbeatable, and when you lose that, you feel like you can't skate across the ice. <laughs> Chris, I'm going to do a uh, bad interviewer technique here and go back to something we were talking about before, because while you were talking, I, I you know just had the Olympics uh, up on my, uh, my computer here, and I'm just looking at the stats from the 2002 Olympics, and I just have to ask you this, so excuse me for going back to something we were discussing before, but... Uh, why did no one have any points in the Olympics? Like, uh, I think there's there's three guys who are a point per game, very low scoring. Everyone's kind of three points in six games. It's spread out nicely, but was the hockey low scoring and defensive? I don't remember it being that way, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, some of the teams that played, like Germany played the 1-4. One 1-4. Four, one uh, four. Maybe we only beat them. Well, they, I mean, they literally sat back and had four guys across the blue line, one guy at the red line. That was it. Uh, wow. So, you know, there was a lot of teams that played that very defensive culture. Band don't break. You know, we'll give you the puck all game, but if you make a mistake, we're going to go the other way. Uh, I think we may have beaten them maybe 3 1, if I'm not mistaken. It was pretty low scoring for that game. Uh, we beat the U.S. 5 2. Sweden, I think, beat us 5 2. And the rest of the games were, we beat uh, Finland, I think, 3 2, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of the games were fairly low scoring. Uh, I think teams were figuring out the bigger ice surface and, and playing more in the middle and allowing the outside to a certain extent, which happens. And I think to, to, the, to the critics of the NHL game and thinking, oh, well, the, the uh, international game always has, you know, more scoring. If you get more ice, it's going to give the good players more space and time, et cetera. And in actual fact, it just gives the bad players more time to recover and cut you off. So, you know, I think when you look at how the international game is played, typically they're very low-scoring games. Who who are you paired with? And was there much juggling on the back end, uh, Pat Quinn's team? Yeah, I I played with, man, I played with Adam Foote. I played with Al. I played with Blakey a little bit. I played with Jovo. I played with Brewer. I played with a bunch of people. We we didn't really have, um, I think Scotty and Blakey for the most part were a tandem, if I'm not mistaken. And then from there, 
it, it, we kind of bounced around a little bit. We didn't really have that. The next groupings on the back end, we didn't really have set. Most of the time I was with Al, uh, but I was with Jovo and Brew and, and Adam Foote a little bit too. Do, do you do you get to play your game no matter what because they're so good, or would you adjust based on the, the history that you knew of them uh, and the type of players they were? Meaning my partner or the opponent? Partner. Your partner. Yeah, I, I typically, in, in those tournaments, I, I was typically just p- trying to play D. And, and, yeah, you're trying to get up in the attack and, you know, you're playing your game, but I wasn't, I was focused on shutting down the top lines and, and focused on getting the puck up to our forwards. You know, when you're, you're playing with the elite of the elite, you know, you're trying to get the puck in their hands as fast as you can, let them do what they do and then help provide the second, third, fourth layer of attack and, you know, not, you know, get out of the way. (laughs) Let them do what they do. (laughs) You know, Mario's on the team, Sackett, Korea. You know, you look at the guys that we had, uh, Joe Neuendijk, and you go through the list of players that that we had. Um, You know, you're just, you're trying to get it up to them, let them do what they do and and provide some support. Well, Enjoy the rest of your 20th anniversary gold medal day. Uh, big dinner involved? Well, maybe now I might have to crack a, a nice cold beer to celebrate now. Thanks for the, uh, yes. thanks for the information. Excuse yes. provided. Absolutely. And don't <laughs> listen, when, when the Flyers call to coach, you tell them no because we don't want to lose our number one nicest analyst on Real Kipper and Born. There you go. Okay. There you go. See, there's always a, an end game. <laughs> always, always. Radio's nicest All right. guest. Chris Pronger, everybody, <laughs> Hall of Famer and member of the 2002 gold medal team. Thanks, Prongs. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was awesome. That was awesome. I, I just, I, going through the team while he's talking, Al McKinnis is the number one name that shocked me who was on that team. Al McKinnis was on that team? 2002 is a while ago, bud. Al McKinnis? You thought he was he'd be too old? I, I guess I would have thought like was he at the very end of his career? No. I just saw him take a slap shot in the St. Louis All Star game, and you know he hasn't played in a while. <laughs> That's my point. I, you, I was you surprised. Th- yeah. I was surprised. No, he was still very much uh, big time player. I then. also didn't realize as, how gigantic I the decor was. Chris Pronger's huge. Joe Vanossi brings up foot. Blake. Al McKinnis, Joe Vanossi. These guys are Blake. These guys are monsters. Like, I know Niedermeyer's not, but other than that, what a huge decor. Sammy, how old were you? Um, what year? So it was 2002. It's now. So I would have been just about 13. And that must have been. It was the perfect. Time. So that's, I, I was six, and I remember Paul Henderson's goal. So, and you're, you're and do so that, that's your Paul Henderson moment, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Sydney Crosby the scored, scoring in overtime to okay. win. That, that one's there, but too. The but the first one, too, I, is kind of nice. I do, I do have the argument that 2002 was better than 2010. I do have that argument with some people. Like, I, Obviously, the moment that led up to Sid scoring in overtime is unbelievable. And two, 2002, Canadian soil. Yeah, but 2002 in the States against America. Listen. And the way that the tournament started, I mean, if you'll indulge me, them losing very handily to Sweden. They got smoked in the first game, 5-2 in the first game. Sundin was all over. Like, 
I was extremely conflicted and they at that made, age. Like, not Sandeep, if, God. If, if I remember, too, Curtis Joseph started and then got replaced by, by Brodeur. Correct. And if I stand corrected, Wayne Gretzky made a plea as well, a media plea. Oh, yeah. It's a, cro- it's a crock of crap or something he was saying about the officiating, remember? Exactly. Took yeah. a little bit of tension off of the team, yes, the focus, put it on me, put it on the officials, get them to regroup. S- so yeah. genius stuff. Uh, that's yeah. Do you think he was th- playing 3D chess on that one? And then or just complaining. The thing that I mean gets forgotten is Canada beat Finland in the quarters, like he was talking about. Uh, they beat him two one. He so he nailed that one. But uh, Pronger, I'm, I'm talking about. But then Sweden with the loss to Belarus in the I quarters remember with that Tommy, well. uh, Tommy Sallow. There's with, one from the dump oh, air between yes. the eyes and the, went up in the air and dropped behind him. Famous picture of uh, getting it uh, on the head. So then, yeah. yeah. So then... He gifted a birth, So right? then they went to, they played Belarus in the in the semis and they beat them 7-1 in the semis, but it was all setting up for Canada having to play Sweden again who beat the brakes off them in the first game. Like, oh my God, we're not going to win and then beaten the States with my maybe my favorite hockey goal of all time with... Uh, Mary Lemieux ah, pretending to kick the, the puck up. And I think it was... No, 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 no. He let it go. No, he, he, was pretending. he was pretending to kick it up to, That's his, right. to his skate. And he let it go. And let I, it go was it, was it Korea. Korea, yeah. yeah. And by the way, Joe Sackick, his no, low blocker No, it wasn't. It, it was one. a Ginla. Wasn't it a Ginla? I forgot. A it Ginla was, scored. Yeah, Iggy. It was I can't Iggy. Remember. No, it was Korea. Uh, I can't remember I now. think it was Korea, boys. We'll have to look it up. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But, uh, he was on the ice. He was. And Sackick scored that low blocker finish that just like the Gio, game was already. <laughs> Surely that's got to be it. I've never watched the clip. <laughs> I, don't, times, I don't remember eh? it at all. That's your, your no, but I, I love I love that team. I just It's just such a, a time. You know, that's, that's the era when the Leafs were good in that era in the early 2000s where it's just like if they had a, got a cup at that point, that's when it would have meant the most. Right when you're that age, yeah. when you're like, when you care the most, when you're a biggest fan. I, I read something about when your sports fandom solidifies, and like it's like when you're like 11, 18. whoever's the best at that point is yes. your favorite team, basically. And like, it means the most to you at that point. So um, I, it's a thrill to have. Deadspin Bronger like on. made a living uh, on remember a guy. Well, it used to be Deadspin, now Defector, but the uh, remember a guy where you just you know. Oh, I love I love remember. Remember a guy. a guy. I mean, looking at some of the names in this, like Simone Gagne was on that yep. team. Owen Nolan was on that team. Theron Fleury was on that team. Mm. Okay. See, and, that's, I, and that's what makes it so hard to go back off of the NHLers. Oh, when you yeah. have, the, the, I didn't it's, watch it's, any it's, of what it's just really, it's just too hard for people to get engaged like that. Oh, that was something. After experiencing Salt Lake City, and of course Vancouver. But, yeah, Eric Lindros, but then Mike Pekka, they won. Shanahan. They won in 2014, and that was like the most boring hockey tournament of all time. When they won in 2014, when they played on the big ice with you know they had this unbelievable decor, they had the puck the entire tournament. They won every yeah. game, won nothing. Remember that? Yeah. Like they they didn't they, they barely so scored. They beat Lafayette one, but that yeah, and they beat they beat uh, they beat USA in the semifinals, won nothing, and they didn't like the, the game was never close, and they won one nothing. Yeah, I remember that. So those teams were loaded. loaded. Yeah, like their decor was I wish, unbelievable. I would have liked to have seen that team coached by Bruce Boudreaux. <laughs> Just take the shackles off and let him go.
But yeah, it was like Doughty in his prime, Keith Duncan Keith in his Shea prime, Weber, Shea Weber. Yeah. Like they just were stacked. We don't have that anymore. That we don't have Kelowna as deep summer as we used skate to. when I was coming up to. Oh, you decent. played in that? All the yeah, those guys used to practice in the summer, and I'd like how'd oh, that go? Can I come out too? Not well for me. <laughs> <laughs> Our thanks to Chris Pronger on uh, 2002. Great memories. That was awesome. That was, yeah, for sure. We'll take a quick break. We got Jim Ralph, a Toronto Maple Leaf Radio color analyst, to help us tee up the Minnesota Wild and the Toronto Maple Leafs after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank goodness for Derek Brendale. Yeah. Needs he's some he's love. putting out the fire that I started with those hot chips that he gave me with a, a Kit Kat. Yeah. If anyone wants like, to send us a bunch of chocolate, we'll promote it because we eat chocolate all show. It's like working uh, with uh, Circle K. <laughs> That's a great okay. nickname for him, actually. <laughs> he's got everything, man. <laughs> we call him Circle D. Is hey, that? For sure. <laughs> so we know Peter Mrazik goes in that tonight. Mm-hmm. And if he can't get the job done, they ha- they may have to go to our next guest. Oh, no. No disrespect. You didn't even hear that. No, he's not on, on the air yet. We wait momentarily for the great Jim Ralph, color analyst. Do you want to talk about goaltending first? And, do, you, do you ever play goal, Kipper? And, and my only professional hat trick. That's right. Came That's against... Right. Jim Ralph. We we start every interview with Jim Ralph with that reminder, by the way. I missed that, boys. What was it? Well, we just said if Peter Morazic doesn't play well, you're up next Saturday. Yeah, I, I'm going to admit I'm holding out for the league minimum. <laughs> <laughs> you will get it. Yeah, I how always about, have. <laughs> how about that juggling act? Uh the other day by the Leafs, this is the way it is now, right? They spend all day trying to figure out who's up, who's down, and how to save a nickel. Yeah, it's uh, – well, I know we've got different accountants, that's for sure. <laughs> but the uh, – yeah, it's, it's – um, what do they say? Kept brighter minds than ours. Yep, for sure. <laughs> Thank God. How surprised are you that it is Peter Morazic? Justin and I, and I think Sammy, all think that uh, – there might be some message sending to to Jack Campbell by not giving him this start. Well, I, I think it's more about just trying to get a win, Kip. You know that um, you know, and, and the unfortunate thing is, is you know the one win they've got in their last four games, uh, which was the Pittsburgh game, uh, with average goaltending, they lose that one as well. So I, I think it's more of just you know trying to get uh, you know someone on a roll, and it's. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a, a message to one individual. I think it's we've got to try to find something that's going to get us going in the right direction again. And uh, right now, I, I think if absolutely if Campbell wins in Columbus, he starts tonight. But it's uh, it's a matter of trying to right the ship. Jim, how do you feel about the difference in playing styles and how would it would affect the Toronto Maple Leafs decor? Uh, you know, I, I found a stat the other day that basically says Jack Campbell freezes more pucks than any goalie in the NHL. Peter Morazic, I think, uses two blockers or two boxing gloves or something out there. He freezes nothing. How, how would that affect the decor differently? Yeah, um, you know, Peter Morazic is, is probably a little more unorthodox. I mean, and neither guy is... is 
um, you know, blessed with incredible size, like that Pecorine or, or even Vasilevsky, that 6'3 to 6'6 frame that uh, can cover up a lot of mistakes. So both guys have to be act- active. Uh, but I would say Peter Morazic is probably a little more unorthodox. And, and sometimes you see it on great saves, and other times you see it like the, uh, what was it, the Josh Anderson goal against uh, Montreal off the rush where he seemed to almost turn sideways and have it go under his arm. So uh, I'd say to a certain extent, but, uh, but a lot of times that's, you know, communication on the ice as well, where you'll have defensemen yell, freeze it, freeze it, or, or play it if somebody's open. So it, um, you know, I, I do think that uh, if, if Jack Campbell freezes more pucks, it's probably because his rebound control is a little better. Yesterday we heard from Sheldon Keefe, and and the word of the day for us, anyways, that he used was re, uh, recalibrate, and he speaks of maybe starting to shift from let's not worry about the offense, but now it's about defense and being on the right side of the puck, and and now it's about tidying up maybe your own end or the neutral zone with thirty games to go. Ralphie, is this plenty of time now to kind of reprogram some of these guys, or or are they who they are? Well, you know, but Kip, they were able to do it at the start of the year. I mean, they didn't have Matthews for the first three games, but uh, they looked less less. They couldn't get the offense going, and then, you know, once they got that win in Chicago, and then they went on that fifteen and two run. That's probably as good a Leaf team as I've seen in the last five or six years during that stretch where they seemed to be just in control of every game. There was no gambling. There were no uh, ill-advised pinches. The forwards weren't getting caught deep. Uh, they were just a very patient group. And uh, so I just went back and, and rewatched the last three games. And uh, what they've been giving up off the rush has been incredible. Uh, three of the five goals against St. Louis were off the rush, not counting the empty net goal. Four to five against Montreal and four to four against Columbus. And so nine straight goals they've given up off the rush. Now there have been, you know, some bad pinches, some bad bounces uh, that have led to them and uh, some suspect goaltending. And and I think that should be a lot easier to fix than, uh, you know, anything to do with whether it's man on man or zone coverage in your own end, uh, you know, cleaning up off the rush should be the easiest thing to do. It should be for sure. You know, one thing that the Leafs do defensively uh, fairly well is they don't play in their own end. They don't actually spend much time there. By sport logic stats, they actually spend the least time in their zone. Uh, the other team has the puck in their end for five minutes and 20 seconds per game, according to sports logic. They're also for, or third in the NHL uh, at the other end of the rink. They have the puck for about seven and a half minutes in the other end. Can that cover up some of these defensive woes? They don't have big, strong D-man. Can you can you just hang on to the puck enough that you don't have to play defense in the playoffs? Well, I know those stats, Borny, weren't, weren't around when I played, but I guarantee that the, the other team very seldom had the puck in our end. Yeah. Because there, there was usually a face-off at center five <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point. That's one way to get it out of your end, too. Well, I, uh, I took a lot of pride in that. You know, even Kipper's hat trick. And where were you, Hershey, then? Kip? Yes, I was. No D-zone yeah. time that day. <laughs> yeah. I, was, uh, I said I even had my arm up for icing on the second one. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's... Um, I'm, one of the quotes I think I've used it with you guys before that I love was Ron Wilson uh, when he was in Toronto. He said, and, and to me, it, it's really hockey uh, in the results. He says, we can't control whether we win or lose, just how well we play. 
So I think if you play that well with the pucks in the offensive zone more than your own end, the law of averages, and especially with the talent police have in their lineup, would suggest uh, that they should win far more than they lose. But like I said, it, uh, you know, when you're looking at the amount of goals they've given up off the rush, uh, that's not a lot of zone time to do some damage that you've given up. So uh, I, I would say that uh, you can cover some of that up, but I don't think you can sacrifice zone time with giving up odd man rushes where you have defensemen pinch and nobody backs them up and it's two on ones and breakaways the other way. Um, you know, I, I think you've got to be smart about it. And, and a lot of times you got to play the score. And, and a lot of times the Leafs have had a one goal lead and there's a bad pinch and the, the game's tied at one. You know, and I think that's that's where you start to get frustrated with, um, you know, what you're seeing and the results that have followed the last few games. Tonight's, I look at tonight's game, Ralphie, and yes, despite losing to Montreal and Columbus, it's not Detroit, it's not Chicago, it's a big, heavy team that looks like it's built for the playoffs. So how how big of a, a night is it? How big of a measuring stick is this? A win could go a long way for them tonight in convincing people that, you know, they've maybe the hiccup might be over. Yeah, I, I'd put some importance out of this game for sure. And and the funny thing is that a, a Peter Morazic's end starts. This is only a second against the playoff team. And the, the other one, which was probably the Leafs' last measuring stick, was uh, their win in, uh, in overtime against Carolina. So it's uh, I think it's going to be important for Morazic, um, who's had I think he's got Detroit a couple of times, uh, he got Chicago, uh, Arizona. You know, he's had a lot of starts that. Uh, he hasn't been able to pick up wins in, and yet I thought he was probably his most impressive start was a game against Carolina. So I think for him, it's a it's a huge game. But yeah, for the Leafs as a whole, now you remember the game in Minnesota? Uh, they were down three nothing in the second period. Jason Spezza had two goals and three points in the latter part of the second period to get them back in it before they lost in a shootout. But it, um, you know, that was followed by what might have been the worst game of the year in Winnipeg. So. It, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond and if they can get back to that mentality where you just be patient, keep it close, and whether it's specialty teams or whether it's Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner or hopefully Tavares or Nylander is able to score the big goal when you need it. And that really, before Christmas, was the formula they used on a regular basis. Ralphie, when you look at this Leafs team, like their identity, it feels like it's the big four, right? They're, and we talked about offense and possession and all that sort of stuff. We, we have a pretty clear idea what their identity is. As they move towards the deadline, does it make more sense to just own that and add guys who can play that way and handle the puck and make passes? Or should they be looking to add more guys like Labushkin who can play differently than that and, add, and provide a different element? Yeah, I, I mean, he got caught on a bad bounce on uh, yeah. uh, against Columbus. I, I didn't mind the way he played the two-on-one in the first goal by Liney. You know, I I think you're more upset if he lets the pass get through for a backdoor tap-in. Um, so, so I know those those are the two goals that you're going to see him in the highlights. But but I'm 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 a little more inclined to get like Zach Bogosian was a guy that I was impressed with last year because you you hardly noticed him. He just did so many simple things uh, from clearing rebounds to boxing guys out in front. And he, he never tried to, as we're talking, be the guy that's going to make the 50-foot pass out of the zone. He's a guy that uh, uh, knew his limitations, and, and he, he played within that. And uh, I, I think that's from my standpoint. Uh, you would like you know, maybe another defenseman or two that you don't notice. 
you know, that you don't say, right. boy, who gave that away or who got caught on this play? Uh, why are there two guys in the corner and nobody in front? Um, I'd rather take that guy that you're saying, okay, all he did was, you know, deflect a pass or put it off the glass or out or he iced the puck. Um, I think sometimes, you know, that, that keeps it simpler. I mean, it's, it's not as exciting and it might take a little away from your offense, but um, I do believe a great mind once said defense wins championships. We're talking to Jim Ralph, Toronto Maple Leaf radio color analyst, a top priority for Sheldon Keefe. Ralphie is finding a way to get John Tavares going. Kerfoot out, Kasha in. You like this to maybe reset the captain? Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, the, the only thing is, is and I don't know if I'm big on saying one of your, uh, leave the money side out of it, but one of your top players, it's, it's up to somebody else to get him going. I mean, how many people have blamed Zach Cassian if Connor McDavid went, you know, a game without a goal? So you got to move Cassian on and let's blame uh, Jesse Pugliarvi on the next night. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I think guys that, uh, and I think Tavares would, would take responsibility for it, that nobody's really responsible for getting him going other than himself. And, um, you know, it obviously hasn't just been him and Nylander's been in the same boat. And, um, you know, what, what's interesting over this stretch, it's gone, I believe it's, what, 10 now for Tavares without a goal. And Nylander's got three in his last 16. But during that stretch, you know, up into the last three games, they proved they could win. They proved they could win. If Jack Campbell's goals against was over three and save percentage was under uh, 900, but they haven't proved they can win without Matthews and Marners being the best players on the ice. So that's, I think, the challenge. If, if you get, you know, Tavares and Nylander playing even 30% better and Matthew, Marner, and Bunting, you know, continue on the, the pace they're on, they'll be fine. But uh, I don't necessarily say it's uh, Ely McKayev or, Andre Cash or whoever it is gets the opportunity is, is the the one guy that has to turn one of your star players around. Ralphie, when you, when you look at that back end, you know, we, let's just assume it's Riley and it's Brody and Muzzin and Hall are healthy. Uh, I think Rasmus Sandin is clearly a guy who's in there. Who do you like more out of Dermot and Lilligren? Who who'd you rather see them throw over the boards on a consistent basis while we await to see what the, the finalized decor looks like? Uh, you know what, boring. That's tough because you know yeah, game in and game out. You yeah, you, you could you know you like one guy for a game or two games, and then you sort of see a step backwards. And um, you know you know it might be a, a matter of just getting one guy. Uh, and, and you know Dermot's been a healthy scratch uh, more often than not of late. But one guy's got to get maybe eight, ten games in a row to find that rhythm. Um, you know some guys are motivated by the fear of getting pulled out of the lineup the next night, but. Um, you know, I, yeah, that, that's a tough one because right now I'd, I'd say, you know, both guys have, have been up and down. They've done things that you really like, and then there's that giveaway. There's that bad pinch. Uh, there's that horrible outlet pass that gets picked off, and you start to think, oh, no, he's, you know, he's not ready for more ice time. He's going to be your, you know, your 5-6 guy. So I think that's, you know, why you're seeing them get, uh, you know, shared in the lineup. I mean, but, you know, with Munson out, obviously more guys are going to get more minutes. But I think that's why you've seen this this shuffle of guys in and out because they haven't been able to find that combination yet. With Muzzin on long term, are you one of those believers that uh, the Leafs will now step up and, and, and go get a 4 or $5 million defenseman to replace him? Or are you the belief that uh, they're going to take their time on this? Uh, I'm going to say both. 
different that uh, I still believe that that was I don't know if a four or five million dollar guy if, if Muslim was still in the lineup, um, but I still think that's that's got to be the priority. And you know, Joe and I were even talking about okay, what if hypothetically would you go after Chara? You know, as a rental, just to have the big body and that meanness and the size back there. Uh, you know, whether he's a five, six, or seven guy going into the postseason, would you do it? And uh, then we started thinking, would Lou do it to help out the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, with the Islanders? But that's, uh, you know, and I, I still think that's a priority, Kip, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, the, the Muzzin situation. You know, Muzzin frees up more money for now, but I just think that uh, that's the one thing that uh, to me would, would be the, the number one thing you'd go after is that uh, hopefully a 3-4 guy in defense, um, not knowing exactly what it's going to cost you the other way or uh, what it's going to do to the salary cap. Ralphie, we opened up our show talking about uh, Russia-Ukraine, and we're not going to go into that again. Um, but we did talk briefly with Chris Pronger about politics and teammates. Um, throughout your career, did you ever have to deal with these sort of things in dressing rooms, seeing you know uh, political, worldly issues come into the room, or was it always uh, you're able to keep it just hockey in there? Uh, well, yeah, it was usually hockey. I mean, it, when I was playing and, and Kip as well, um, you know, the, it wasn't uncommon to have three or four guys from the states, uh, Americans that you played with. The rivalry then seemed to be more between who played junior in Ontario and who played in the, the Quebec League or the Western League, and then you would have uh, you'd have scrimmages after or after practice to uh, uh, declare the ultimate winner of what uh, what junior league was better. So no, nothing. Obviously, nothing of the magnitude of what's going on now. Yeah, he's absolutely right. And those Westerners are nuts, too. Absolutely yeah, certifiable. The, yeah, the Quebec, Quebec League, it was always the fast-skilled guys. Uh, the Western League was more of the, the tough guys with the 800 penalty minutes here. And then we always thought the Ontario League was just the well-balanced. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, now we got the well-balanced analyst uh, for the Toronto there Maple Leafs and and Jim Ralph. Ralph, you have a great call tonight. We really appreciate your time as always. All right. Thanks, Skip. Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Jim buddy. Ralph. So I, I just want to pick up a little bit on, on, on Ralphie and his comments. And I thought he was bang on. And I'm hearing, uh, again, lots of talk about JT Miller. Yeah. And you made an interesting point before we went on air about people got to understand how the salary cap works. And the mm. further you go towards the trade deadline, the smaller the actual cap hit will go against your overall uh, cap. Yeah. And a $5 million player can only, uh, could end up just being roughly 1.2. Yeah, 1.05 or something. Um, it, so there's, the trade deadline comes with 20% left in the season. So, yeah, you look at a $5 million guy, a million bucks. So it's it's not, it's not like, off the charts to think that they could trade for a JT Miller no. and, and fit him in. And you know what? Even without LTIR, Kipper, it's possible to hide guys. Like, let's say Muzzin comes off LTIR tomorrow. Uh, it's possible to say, today's an off day. Timothy Lilliger and Rasmus Sandin play for the Marlies today. And you bank that cap yes. space. And then you call them up on game day and you do it over and over and over until you've made a million dollars worth of room and you can afford a guy. And they've been they've been really good at doing that. Yeah. Right? 
They they have been, but you know they've been right scratched up against it for for so long. But it's possible that they could they could still do something without LTIR. The only thing I see, and just to kind of reiterate um, Ralphie's point, is JT Miller is not the priority here. You've got to check boxes right now, mm-hmm. and right now the blue line is the most important box you got to check. You're going to go spend either a, a first-round pick or a top prospect for JT Miller and not use it on the blue line? That's, that's crazy to me. It does sound crazy, but uh, what the, the Penguins won the, the Cup in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, and the decor was like Brian Dumoulin... You, me, Derek, a cat. Like, I don't remember exactly who Letang. it was. Latang was hurt, I think. Um, Hainsey. I mean, I, Cole. Know, yeah, Cole, Corrado, Daly, Dumoulin, you know, Ron Hainsey. Yeah, Oli Trevor Mata, Daly was awesome. Steven Alexi. I'm just going through who was on that okay, team. Okay, no, no superstars. That's yeah, what yeah, you're my, saying. My point. That's exactly right. It's that they were so good up front that they just needed their D to be okay. Get it up to our guys who are just going to play down there and score and be tough to handle. I do think that you can overload one of your positions enough where it can offset. If you're not terrible in the back, and the Penguins weren't terrible in the back end that year, I don't think the Leafs are terrible in the back end. And always a luxury item. It's a nice luxury, right? How do you how do you game plan against the Leafs? They can keep Nylander in that process, and it's Bunting and Matthews and... Marner and Tavares and Nylander and Miller. and The name that I saw floated out by Andy Strickland, who does a good job in St. Louis, he's got the pod with uh, our boy Cam Jansen, was he said that the National Predators are actively shopping Philip Forsberg, which... He's got 26 goals already this year. Which is surprising to the with where they are, but they've been on a bit of a slide. Maybe they're looking around, maybe they're seeing what they can get for him. Or he's not going to sign. He's or he's not going to sign. You, you got to go spend nine plus for Forsberg moving forward. Yeah. So but I, I rent him. I would I love think you rent, to rent him. Love him. That guy. You want to you talk about a smell insults from a line? Put a little left wing Philip Forsberg with Philly, with Willie Nylander and John Tavares. Then you see what a little Is he not just a winger does. that scores like anyone else? No, nah, he he's that? he's big. I don't know. I don't see Forsberg. Why well, you guys are nuts. You yeah. don't like Forsberg? Well, no, I like him. He's not my top priority. Here's the, here's the thing. He's I would much rather have him than JT Miller. Like no com, no comparison. Yeah, I see not me. What? We do not agree. Well, Why? Well, for one, Miller has another year in his deal, which I Okay. Like. So but, that, that fits. But into, also he makes you're, five. You're not, not nine. Si- you're not re-signing Forsberg. Maybe if you include Willie in the deal or something. (laughs) Again now, though, uh, uh, I'm going to just keep pounding this. You're Kyle Dubas. You've bought in for over four years of Willie Nylander, and now you trade him 20 games before the deadline. I'm just saying. And now you're scrambling, and you still lose in the first round. That don't make no sense. You know, that don't it, make no sense. You, you know who team a team was very heavily invested in here in Toronto? DeMar DeRozan. Mm. There is a point where you have to say this is what's best for our team, even if, you know, we love this guy and think he's a great player. The other thing, too, is I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not buying in on the Forsberg's going to get traded. No? No. Why not? Because it's Nashville. And Nashville... Love their hockey, and they come to the rink 
it's a small enough community. They've tasted playoff hockey. They've want the team back in the playoffs. They want to see another Stanley Cup final. He's arguably their best forward. They're not going to understand Forsberg gone for a first rounder and a prospect. That's not a market where I think David Poyle can get away with trading the best forward that you have. You don't owe them understanding. You owe them long-term success. I think Forsberg end up being like uh, Hamilton, Dougie Hamilton, Carolina. They didn't trade him. They kept him. And then they walked him, watched him walk out the door in July. It's risky business these days. It's not risky business. It's actually smart business. Letting an asset walk for nothing when you have no chance to win the cup or very little. It just depends on how you want to market it and how you want to sell uh, and where you... Nashville could be a team that could find themselves in a conference final. It's uh, crazy talk. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. I think. Not. I think you rent your own players is a lot more believable for certain markets. I've got I Nashville in that market. I agree with point. So they also have a defenseman there that plays a gritty game that, you know, has been in some battles. Matthias Ekholm, also a free agent. 6'4", 216, makes $3.75 million, which is a nice number. And looking for a raise. Which way does he shoot? Size left. Left? Yeah. yeah. I, by Did the you way, just know that offhand? I got this weird thing. See, people, <laughs> I are you one of those people I that's such a hockey I can't remember... Thing. If I took out the trash, if I locked the door. But I can remember a guy that I played with 40 years ago if he shot left or right. This is an absolute deficiency of mine. Couldn't agree more, I spent like 15 minutes the other day trying to figure out which way Austin Matthews shoots in my head. I was like, just picture okay, so he's on that flank, so so he's a left, okay. If you went through like on my beer league team and were like, which way does this guy shoot? Guys I've been playing with for eight years, I wouldn't be able to tell you which way any guy shoots. And some guys are like Kipper, and they'll be like, oh, but yeah, he's, he's just white left. tape, tote, yeah, tote tape job, Ekholm, left shot. I like Ekholm, though. I do, too. Yeah, he's there's a lot. If they're, if they're know, looking it's just to, a weird thing. If they're looking to sell, if they're selling guys, that's yeah. a guy I'm looking well, at, Well, that's too. the... the. Where are they in the standings? Unfortunately, they just beat the Florida Panthers. Uh, come yeah. from behind Nashville's going to be one of those teams in, in, in three weeks that are going to be... Man, they're winning. 608 winning percentage, 62 points, fourth in the Central... Behind Minnesota, yeah. St. Louis, Colorado. Go, go tell your fan base in Nashville that uh, uh, we just lost Philip Forsberg. Here's for what I tell them: I say, first the St. Louis Blues traded who was it, Kevin Shattenkirk? Well, in the midst of a cup hunt, and then the next year used some of those assets to win a Stanley Cup. We're a good decision-making franchise. That's what I tell them, and they say, "Don't care." But Don't whatever. care. We like to uh, <laughs> go out of town. Have you been to Nashville? Never been to Nashville. Oh, it's awesome. Heard it's great. Yeah, it's fun. Tootsies. Skyrocketed up the, the list of places to go watch a game for sure. Okay, another thing that I'm looking towards Minnesota and, and Toronto, and it started with our interview with Bill Guerin, general manager, yesterday, is I, I just I just loved the way he spoke about his team. And what I loved about him and is, is that he said, we want to be a team that can beat you every which way. Mm-hmm. So Not everyone has that luxury. I look at Billy Guerin in his career. And I think highly skilled guy could skate, heavy, fight. Will slash you over the head in practice. Right? Yes. Whatever it takes. So I look at the Minnesota Wild and I go, 
there. You know, he hasn't even been that long, but the characteristics of a Bill Guerin, the way he played, was kind of shaped in, into his team. Totally agree. Love and Bill there, Guerin. And there is the connection. I look at tonight. You know what I think? Bill Guerin's team Uh-oh. versus Brendan Shanahan's team. And I look at Brendan Shanahan Same and type say of what you will. You know, uh, he's not the coach. He's not the general manager, but he's the president. And I think similarities. Bill Guerin, another level, even Hall of Famer. Hundreds of more goals, hundred more points, <laughs> Stanley Cups. Sick career. Oh, but, he was one of my favorites. But <laughs> same. Beat you every which way. Mm-hmm. I'll outscore you. I'll outskill you. I'll fight you. I'll hammer you in the corner. You won gold. 2002. And I go, uh, that's not the characteristics of this Toronto Maple Leaf team. You know what's interesting is, like, I respect... It's an the, interesting parallel. It is, I, but I respect the idea of Shanahan being a guy being like, all right, the game is changing, and I want to be at the forefront of that change. I know, I know. But the, the, the game is changing. A lot of people, you know, have, you know have when seen that you coming. Know when it's changing, but it hasn't changed you know away when, as much as they thought. And that's my exact point. You know when you can say it's changing? When changing wins. Yeah. That's when you get the right to say the game is changing. Until then, you're just a guy Trying that's a wishing way. that the game would change enough so you could say that and and look like you you got some credibility behind it. Yeah, I agree. I just, it's still, we're in 2022, and we still see the St. Louis Blues win a Stanley Cup big and heavy, the Washington Capitals win a cup big and heavy, the success of uh, Vegas early was big and heavy, and I, it's just still for me a little shocking because I competed against both these guys on the ice, mm-hmm. Brendan Shanahan and Bill Guerin, and it still kind of blows my mind that that this Toronto Maple Leaf team is off of Brendan Shanahan's vision the last what seven eight years now. Yeah, you know what's fascinating too though is I think we've kind of got ourselves locked into this thing where we. You know, you think of Toronto a certain way, right? Because you think of the core all the time and you don't think about what else Kyle Dubas has done. Over the past few years, I don't know whether it's Shanahan-led or Dubas-led or whatever. I mean, they've acquired Kyle Clifford twice. They acquired Jake Muzzin. They acquired um, a number of sizable guys. Wayne Simmons came in and joined the team. But then they all play one way. They don't come in and play that the way that... Nick Ritchie. But they don't come in, they put on the sweater, and they play a certain way. Because I, I don't, they don't muck it up. I agree with what you're saying because they have brought in I mean, guys. Muzzin has played plenty, plenty of physical. Yeah. Simmons has done yeah. his best. I mean, yeah. they have brought in guys who have tried to do this. They but brought they, in Nick hey, Foligno last you're, you're year for about, You're talking about a couple of individuals. I'm going to watch Minnesota tonight, and yes, they've got Foligno and they got some big guys, but as a team, they look. Like, they're all on the same page to play that type of... And the Leafs have never, in the last four years... You're never going to get this core to play have, like that. Which brings me to to a point where, you know, you want to think it's Brendan Shanahan's team, but it's it's not a Brendan Shanahan's team. It's no, not. No, it doesn't play like he played. But, like, Rod Brindamore was gritty, tough, mean, whatever. I've thought of Carolina as one of the most skilled teams in the NHL for years. I don't think of them as heavy and mean when i see them there I, I see big and heavy out of carolina oh, stall you don't. 
Yes, I do. I see Aho and Taravainen and Svechnikov. Svechnikov. Svechnikov's a big mule, my friend. A big <laughs> mule. All right. Anyways. Yeah. So it just it it it's Kyle Dubas's team. This is this is I Bill Guerin's percent agree. Bill Guerin's team versus Kyle Dubas's team. It's not Brendan Shanahan's team, yeah. which kind of gives me a feel over the last few years that it, it's these. This is on. This is exactly the vision that Kyle Dubas has had, and it, they're his decisions. They're not. They're not Brendan Shanahan's decisions. Yeah. He might have okayed them all or given them the right to have that that freedom, autonomy to do whatever he wants, but this is truly Kyle Dubas's team. It's not for Brendan Shanahan's. Or for worse. So I'm just looking at uh, Brendan Shanahan's hockey DB page because it's just it's a delight. Oh, numbers everywhere. But in 93-94, 52 goals, 50 assists, and 200 and pe- 211 penalty minutes. Busy. How was there enough Busy. ice time? Busy, and man. I had to go back and uh, make. I made a mistake. Matthias Ekholm signed a four-year contract. Yeah, okay. you know what? Yeah, you guys. I mean, you he could, was a free agent. Let, this was the question. Was he? Here. Yeah, you know what? I didn't. I, I just went with we, you, we Sammy. We had handedness, though. I just went with you. That's okay. That was a conversation. I think uh, last year, two years ago, where it was like, "Is he going? Is he staying? Is he going? Is he?" He signed staying? it this past year. Okay. So it was this time last and year thank at the you trade to deadline. Somebody that texted me and said that. Okay. Because yes. I'm an idiot. We have so. two things to get in before the show ends. Oh, bunting. We got to do bunting. We got to do bunting. And we should first also mention uh, Rodion Amarov. Uh, we didn't mention that yesterday. Yes. Um, our, our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. Awful situation. A top prospect. 2015, if I wasn't. Uh, if I stand corrected, a first round pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs. No, he's just 20 years old. So later than that. It was 2020. Yeah. Was oh, like I'm sorry. Year. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. But he's, um, you know, not not just was a bright prospect of theirs, but a guy who's been immensely positive. You know, Freed's chatted with him uh, after it, still skating, uh, has a started chemo, and, um, you know, it sounds like the, the Maple Leafs all sent him a nice message. So yeah, just I saw that to, today. That's nice. Hey, that, mean, that means a lot. Like, I've had, friends love that have, I've had friends that have gone through certain things and had health issues, and, you know, whatever you send that you might not think matters yeah. or, like, you might think is a little bit – insignificant it it isn't and to see him like the whole team that like he got drafted by and like he's going through it and seeing all those guys do that for him will probably mean the world to him so yeah. all the best to him that's just horrible nothing like a 20 year old kid should ever have to go through it's horrible no yeah couldn't, couldn't agree more it's awful um so thoughts with him and then before we close the show we wanted to talk about uh, michael bunting also um in the news for different reasons i think i think we've probably had really good conversations about Bunting's ability to draw penalties. I'm not but, sure if he's still first in the league, but, but he's close. What what comes with that is also the reputation for a guy that uh, will be watched very carefully. It's almost uh, an automatic that if you're going to be amongst the, the, the best or the second best in the league at drawing penalties, there's going to be times when people think, eh, that's not a penalty. Right. So let me ask you, any correlation with him getting busted on this uh, $2,000 fine for embellishment and just being in Toronto? Because, like, there's attention on him all the mm. time. You hear his name as someone who's a diver. You know, it's it gets talked about if, if he's playing for... Well, there's always going to be attention on anything with with Toronto, and there's 31 other teams to remind you of that. Right. Whether it's a suspension or if it's Spezza's... 
knee, whatever the case is, there's always going to be people that think that uh, they get preferential treatment or sometimes from Leaf Nation, including Sammy, they're getting screwed. Oh, yeah. And is it okay to be a diver? Do you do you care when you when you reap the rewards as often as bunting does? I, I like... It. I hate it. I, I like the, uh, the introduction of the embellishment list, fine. And for them to go public on bunting would mean that he's quietly had a letter in his stall with from, a few warnings. Like, hey. Yeah, they come with warnings, too. They don't just slap a guy. So they don't like it. And once you're on that list, it's almost as if you can't shake it the rest of your career. Would you like to hear the top five in uh, penalties drawn? Yes. Number one, Connor McDavid, 35 penalties drawn. Number two, Michael Bunting with 31. Pierre-Luc Dubois, Tim Stutzla in fourth. And number five? Kadri. Kadri. Always top five. Top five. Our boy. Yeah. So I'm kind of caught in the middle on this with what you were talking about because I definitely see the side of it that he plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Everyone talks about how good he is at drawing penalties. I see that perspective as a Leaf fan. I understand that. But the other side is he does dive a lot. Oh, he drives a ton. Dives every game. Oh, yeah. Dives every game. To me, there's no merit to this. We had this conversation a month and a half ago and you just know it was coming. And I said, you got to pick your spots. And, you know, he he probably should be really careful because you want those calls in the playoffs. Yeah, that's one thing. And if you go through large stretches where you don't look like you're... You know what, you know what hurts bunting the most for me? Is once he falls down, it's the dramatic time to get up. And then it's like the 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 gopher that's looking for six more weeks of winter or not. <laughs> well, my boy wired really. Yeah. And you're you're kind of like looking at the official, but you're not. And you're like, th- that stuff is no good. It's annoying as a teammate. However, let me say, 31 drawn penalties for this guy. The Toronto Maple Leafs are first in the NHL with uh, in power play percentage at 31%. Quick math off the top of my head. That that's about ten free goals he's drawn for this team by putting them on the power play. Yeah, you, you know, versus being a guy who doesn't draw penalties. You just don't want it to dry up. You're right. That's all. Yep. I, and and also there's some trade off. He's taken 15 penalties, which is not the end of the world. I, but. I also love that he's always in the fight, and he does he does he does dive, but like he's always at the front of the net. He's always guy mixing it up. Like I do like that side of it. But I could do with a little less of the embellishment. The one great thing is, guys, he has got a mind for the game and he's got a mind for the net. Yep. And we we watched the setup by Marner in Columbus. And it was a fantastic play where we only think a handful of guys could ever make that lateral move um, back to him. Mm-hmm. But you still need a guy with impeccable timing to get right off the post. You're right. In the in the right place. I like place the point that he's a thinker. At the right time. Yeah. And it's not about going through anybody. It's just about finding just that that right area and 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 arriving at the split second right time. Yeah. And that's where he has been gold with yep. Matthews and Marner. So 
I tip my hat off to Michael Bunting. Two things to, to mention uh, on penalties uh, and watch for tonight. Uh, Joel Erickson-Eck and Kirill Kaprizov are in the top 10 penalties drawn for Minnesota. So see if they draw a couple. And your boy Svechnikov, second in the NHL in penalties taken and top 10 in penalties drawn. So he's in the mix. All right. Enjoy the game tonight, everybody. Our thanks to Jason York, Jim Ralph, and Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, who wants everybody to be really, really nice. Did not see that coming. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, thanks for joining us. Give us a rating and review on any of your platforms on your podcast. Have a great night, everybody.